It's a great pleasure to be here with you, and it is also my great pleasure to serve the marvelous congregation from whence gentle persuasion uh, came to join you today in our traveling road show. <laughs> I want to start in a few moments by t reading to you an excerpt from a letter to the editor that was printed in an area newspaper. It's a letter to the editor that expresses concerns over the habits, customs, and mores of a specific minority group within our communities. The language and the argument that you'll hear in this letter sounds all too familiar to those of us who were in Prince William County, Virginia in 2007 as Prince William County, which is where our church is, struggled through the passage and ultimately the quiet amending and eventual gutting of legislation that allowed for strong local enforcement of federal immigration law. Our local enforcement strategy was called by its supporters the Prince William County Rule of Law Resolution. And many have made a strong argument that it stood as one of the primary models for what we now know as Arizona's much disputed SB 1070. This idea stands to reason because our local immigration resolution was not in fact all it appeared to be. It was billed as an effort on the part of local politicians for the betterment of local lives. But the truth was, that our local immigration resolution was drafted by a national anti-immigration group called FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And it was these same people who were instrumental in the drafting of SB 1070 and for the drafting of most similar legislation around the country. So if our law sounds and looks an awful lot like SB 1070, it is because the same people wrote it. And what played out in our small local jurisdiction is in fact a cautionary tale that many localities, including yours, might benefit from hearing. So let me come back for a minute to that letter that I'd like to read. And if you'll be joining folks for the movie, 9500 Liberty, which is a documentary that details in some emotional and heart-wrenching ways what we went through in Prince William County in 2007, and you'll hear this, this letter read again. It sounds so familiar to veterans of local immigration disputes all over this nation. In it, the author writes of a minority group arriving in great numbers, to places like Prince William County that were in the midst of rapid demographic shifting, to places that were formerly occupied by entirely different subsections of American culture. Of this incoming group of immigrants, the letter says, a large majority of them can nev neither read nor write do not understand our language, and have natural tendencies to live crowded among their own race and continue only the customs brought with them. The time has come when the American people must call a halt to the Italians. <laughs> that letter was printed in 1906 in the Baltimore Sun, 
As Italian immigrants flooded into port cities all around the United States, well after the previous flood of Irish immigrants made a new Catholic underclass in New England, and several hundred years after the first Euro-American explorers and colonists landed on these shores, bringing with them change and innovation and death and the astonishing hubris of imperial powers and that letter, indeed some of the most hateful and vitriolic slurs thrown around at Native American and Irish and Italian and Eastern European immigrants over the long history of this nation's changing relationship to the varying stream of minority groups, that letter and so many of the hateful things hurled at those many waves of people absolutely pales in comparison to what was said to neighbors by neighbors in the community in which I serve during our debate over local enforcement of federal immigration law. Let me tell you a little bit about the context of my ministry and the experience that we all had on the front lines of the American immigration debate. Prince William County is the location not only of our marvelous congregation, but it is in a geographic region that is about 20 miles southwest of the city, and it is undergoing some of the fastest demographic shifting in the nation. 20 years ago, Prince William County was fundamentally a little southern town. Manassas City, where our church is located, was dependent upon agriculture, light industry, and the familial connections of generations of largely Eurocentric Americans who had called the, the area home for longer than most of them could remember. It was a hometown like other hometowns where everybody knew your name, where the local hardware store had been run by the same family since before the First World War. But your fair city spreads its fingers far and wide, does it not? And such is the way with cities, especially in the last several decades. So during the 80s and the 90s, Prince William County rapidly became the location of an enormous building boom as commuters moved out to the exurbs and farm plots were carved out into affordable subdivisions. And along with that building boom came industry and the need for labor to support that rapidly expanding economy. And with the need for labor came immigrants, largely Latino and Latino immigrants who came to this formerly small southern town and bent their backs in service to the building of suburban prosperity. They came to do what our communities asked them to do, to build our homes, to build our roads, to strengthen, to strengthen the infrastructure that's so desperately needed for this city to expand ever further into places where we live. By 2007, some 40% of the incoming kindergartners in Prince William County were native Spanish speakers. And the once lily-white complexion of the local schools had become a rainbow of stories, of nationalities, of ethnic backgrounds. 
Projections have long held that by 2016, Prince William County, Prince William County would be the first majority minority county in the state of Virginia. In fact, that happened in 2010, six years before any projections could have guessed it. It happened so fast. This rapidly changing environment of Prince William County has also always stood as something of a political border between Nova and Rova. Y'all know what that is? Northern Virginia and rest of Virginia. <laughs> And if you imagine all of those factors at play, you begin to get a sense of the tension in the environment in Prince William County. Locals were afraid of losing their town, afraid of losing their majority, afraid of losing their perception of power. Commuters wanted only good roads and nice, big, affordable houses with small lawns. Immigrants wanted work and to live and to gather in ways that they were accustomed. And both the Democratic and Republican parties knew, still know, that as Prince William County goes, more often than not, so goes the swing state of Virginia. And as the swing state of Virginia goes, more often than not, so goes this nation. So, political leaders wanted perhaps above all else, to turn that all-important county either squarely blue or burning red. Fear, change, political opportunity, economic forces, all of those things were at work when the issue of local enforcement of federal immigration law came knocking on our front door. Even individually, all of those issues are complicated. When you throw them together in one great seething mess, it is indeed a complex thing. The whole thing spun out of control so fast that most of us couldn't keep up with it. Do any of you know the term anchor babies? It's been actually thrown around quite a lot um, in recent months, attendant to the DREAM Act that was being discussed on the federal level. I had never heard that word before, blessedly, until an elected officer of the local anti-immigration group, which called themselves Help Save Manassas, stood up in a public forum in the fall of 2007 and described these anchor babies the children of illegal immigrants as the enemy's greatest weapon in a war that to him was nothing less than a pitched battle between the forces of brown-skinned evil and white-skinned good. It was a battle that for some was political, for others was directly and unashamedly racial, and for everyone was deeply, heartrendingly painful. It dominated our community politics and discourse for so long we thought we might never get through it, and indeed, it is not over yet. They have their anchor babies, this man said, and they are their greatest weapons, and we will repel this invasion, this invasion of parasites, no less. That was the language actually used in a public hearing 
before our County Board of Supervisors. And the shocking thing is that it was not in any way an outlier. Those comments were in no way unusual. There they are, with their anchor babies, amassed on the other line of a battle, uh, on the other side of a battle line, which had been drawn so starkly that nobody quite knew who to trust anymore. And things as complex and as desperately important as actual differing opinions on immigration law were overlooked in preference for these new battle lines. And because of this, in 2007 in Prince William County, the battle lines were not drawn between Republicans and Democrats, not even conservatives and progressives, not even those who are for or against tighter restrictions and greater attention to federal immigration problems. Rather, the battle lines in Prince William County were drawn by those for or against this radical anti-immigration group, Help Save Manassas, and their choice of virulent racial rhetoric. Help Save Manassas personally identified themselves as a civil military force, ready to move against the invaders on their sacred and ancestral soil. The founder of the group, their self-appointed commander and chief and presiding officer of his own little army, was and is a man named Greg Latique. He was a local blogger who claimed to be organizing a grassroots collection of concerned citizenry, but was in fact operating with the backing of large national right-wing organizations. He attacked the members of our congregation as kooks and nutcases when they dared to offer coffee and used blankets to cold people at day laborer sites. He combed our church website in an effort to find something he could hold up as an argument that said we were not holding the boundaries of separation between church and state and found nothing. He found everything he could to pull apart anyone who in any way deviated from either his rhetoric or his political ambitions and his blog became rapidly among the most widely read in the entire state of Virginia. During the height of the frenzy around the Prince William Rule of Law resolution, he publicly broadcast a widely believed message that these parasites he was repelling carried leprosy. It sounds funny. People believed it. They carried leprosy, and this story is even crazier. When you realize the vehicle through which the leprosy was being spread was Hispanic ice cream vendors who pushed their ice cream carts through the town of Manassas City. They were spreading leprosy with their ice cream. And so there's that. He also said that these parasites murdered children and supported the overthrow of the government and were connected to the Zapatista armies of Central America. Even the Prince William County police chief, who by all accounts was a courageous and, and um, valiant and responsible civil servant, was branded a traitor by this right-wing organization Help Save Manassas when he dared to question whether implementation of these local strategies was even practical or possible or economically feasible or legal. There were battle lines being drawn all around us. And if I'm making it sound dramatic, it's because it was. The debate around the Prince William County rule of law resolution was an ideological battle. 
rather than a thoughtful examination of the problem and the potential solutions to immigration issues in America, there was shockingly little examination. There was only emotion, fear built upon fear, and ideologues on all sides tore one another apart, even as real solutions slipped further and further away from our grasp. Board of County Supervisors meetings went on for 12, 13, 14 hours. Brown-skinned children were actually afraid to go to school, and partisans of the anti-immigration group actually filmed, held video cameras at bus stops in order to have evidence of how many brown faces showed up for school that day. In 2007, even members of the congregation I serve looked at each other out of the corners of, the, of our eyes as the weeks turned to months and the hateful speech veered further and further away from any coherent political debate. We were afraid, and not just of what was happening in our neighborhoods, but of what might happen in our own beloved community if we were to find out that the battle lines had been drawn, the war was on, and our loved ones, like brothers looking down the butt of their rifles in 1861, were on opposite sides. The truth is that the people in my congregation, perhaps like yours, are not of one mind when it comes to immigration and immigration reform. In fact, I think it's safe to say that the people of my congregation are not of one mind about just about anything. But on an issue as broad and politically complex as federal immigration law, we have never sought nor would we seek uniformity of opinion. We are a people of faith who are united by our diversity and who are committed to a fair and loving conversation, even and especially when we disagree. We are not liberal or conservative on the political stage, at least not at our best, and one can assume and one cannot assume that the person seated next to them in our sanctuary, in our venerable old pews that we have in our space, voted for the same candidate as you did. And so, in our congregation, we talked and we debated as Unitarians and no doubt persons committed to ethical culture are wont to do. And those who could find words spoke them, and those who couldn't waited, hoping no matter what their politics were, that this whole thing would eventually blow over, and there wouldn't be too much shame brought to our community, and most of us were more than a little afraid. Even back then, in the midst of blatant racism, the best that the unified religious leaders of Prince William County could manage to do was write a letter to the Board of County Supervisors that said, cut it out, play nice, act like adults, and let's make it through this. Not in those words, but close. And now, as a community and as a congregation, the people I serve are standing on the other side of it, sort of. Late in the game, while the battle still raged in our county, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights came in and said that racial profiling was not an option and that cameras would have to be mounted on all the police cruisers to protect both officers and citizens against illegal detainment and lawsuits. But the money wasn't there for that. And the whole thing fell apart. And now, as before, it is the practice in Prince William County 
that the police department check one's status only after they have committed a crime and not before. But the damage perhaps was already done. Most everybody who had been paying attention knows what side of the battle they were on. And even if the war isn't fought right now in our boardrooms and in the legislative books of Prince William County, it's fought on the street where people of color continue to overreport representation among those pulled, pulled over for minor or contrived offenses. And so many residents have moved out or lost their homes that the foreclosure rate in our local area is the highest in the entire metro DC region and among the highest in the entire nation. There's evidence to support that in the wake of the immigration resolution, communities of color don't call the police in instances of uh, family disputes or domestic violence, that the local police force has become exponentially less effective in those communities. Now, I am not an economist, so you're gonna have to find someone smarter than me to tell you what exactly caused Prince William County to feel the financial pain of our recent national economic troubles so much more acutely than other counties and other jurisdictions, including Washington, D.C. But I can tell you that Prince William County is hurting economically, and we have been quite deeply ever since Prince William County became synonymous with local enforcement of federal immigration law. Politically, I'm not as liberal as most of the Unitarian Universalists I hang out with. On most issues, I'm actually something of a moderate and much of the time, and much to the chagrin and gentle mockery of some of my compatriots, I'm a flat-out libertarian when it comes to food and smoking. So, I do not offer my story as a directly partisan attack. But it must be said that in our particular local context, political leaders chose to prey upon the fear and anxiety already present in the local community and parlay that fear into political power. The anti-immigrant group helped save Manassas, had as its leaders and primary supporters, both moral and financial, nearly every Republican candidate in Prince William County and most at the state level in Virginia as well. It is my firm belief that this local enforcement immigration strategy was chosen as a way forward for us, not because our more conservative political leaders were even true believers in the cause, but because they saw it as a means to a political end, preying upon the anxiety of a changing community faced with economic uncertainty, they molded anti-immigration sentiment into a powerful galvanizing force for the local Republican Party. The issue was chosen strategically, because it helped get conservative candidates elected to positions at the local and state levels. And it worked. Such strategy, strategies continue, perhaps on all sides of the political divide, serving only to obscure the difficult and honest conversations that we should be having on complex issues like immigration reform. It is not my intention or my expertise to make a statement one way or another regarding federal strategies for curtailing or responding to immigration. 
illegal or otherwise, from Central and South America. That's not the story that I have to tell. My story, our story from Prince William County is of a local community that was torn apart so that political capital could be amassed, so that a bright banner issue could fly above the heads of certain candidates, advertising that they had done something about this problem, even if that something they tried to do was destined to failure from the beginning. I don't know what it's like in Arizona because I don't live there. I've read their law, and I've listened to the news, and I've tried to pay attention. Then again, I read the Prince William County Rule of Law Resolution too, and nothing on that piece of paper could really capture what it was like to live in that place at that time. We lived there. We live there now. And the unintended after effects of this local level debate and local level enforcement were and to some degree still are truly terrifying. Say what you want about federal enforcement of immigration law. I can probably be persuaded by a whole lot of opinions. All I know is that it was not just illegal immigrants who were scared to death in Prince William County. It was every person of color and darn near everyone else besides. And if that is one of the unintended or directly intended side effects of local enforcement of federal immigration law, it is a practice that deserves some stark examination. There is a lesson to be learned and taught and retaught by we who carry this troubled legacy, this story of local enforcement in Prince William County. Namely, that community matters. And when battle lines are drawn too clearly, we lose sight of our neighbors and we fear the ones with whom we are called to live and work. As people committed to ethical living, as people for whom ethics is your religion, you should be a part of those who do not strive to draw new battle lines when there are quite enough of them already. As angry as I am, and as much as I do believe help save Manassas and their political allies wronged my hometown and are intent on doing so still, there's a reason that this platform cannot end with my righteous indignation, however well earned. Because righteous indignation doesn't solve anything. There will be lawyers and politicians who can carry on with the attacking Maybe wearing another hat informed by your values and speaking for your individual perspective, you might be among those. But as ethical people, as people with faith in the human endeavor, we must offer a faithful alternative and an honest witness in the face of ideological warfare. Instead of simply tearing the other side apart, we must start by telling our own stories, what happens in our neighborhoods, what makes us frightened, what causes us sorrow, and how we are committed to sticking it out alongside one another no matter what differences we face. Congregations like yours and like mine should be examples of how a serious conversation about immigration and immigration reform might progress 
not racist slurs or underhanded attacks, not military metaphors or literal drawn guns, because there were those in Prince William County too, but compassionate listening, out of which something effective and useful and reasonable might arise. Whatever happens, on the level of local and federal government in response to issues arising from immigration and illegal immigration, it cannot, absolutely cannot happen in the way that the conversation progressed in Prince William County. It can never be okay to speak of whole populations of parasites, to walk down the streets with eyes cast down, to have neighbor war against neighbor in a philosophical battle that becomes all too real. We can't deny that illegal immigration is a big old problem. It has lasting impacts that endanger people, that hurt our economy, that cause working conditions not unlike modern day slavery. But we also cannot deny that the sacrifice of communities is at stake if this nation proceeds apace using Prince William County as a model. If we want immigration reform, we need to find a better model, a model consonant with the very best of our faith in one another, and religious people need to help provide that better model by showing that earnest conversation can take place without hatred or racism or an apply, implied assumption that everyone who does not hold my same political affiliation is an idiot. My own Unitarian Universalist faith tells me that it's worth reaching out to those who think differently, live differently, look differently. And I learned in this work that one of the spiritual cancers at the heart of the local immigration debate was that diversity of opinion in that conversation caused people to reach in rather than to reach out. Instead of reaching out to one's neighbors when the music was too loud or the cars were double parked, folks reacted by reaching in to their own social, racial, and political groups. White people hung out with white people. The old guard circled the wagons. Hispanic families sought safety and affirmation of their experience with other Hispanic families. Liberals shouted from the rooftops with other liberals. And the fragmentation of the community separated us yet further than we already were. These are rifts that are not easy to heal. Some of this is about politics, but the greater portion is about people about how people treat one another, speak of one another, dismiss one another, and how we can make the choice to work together instead of splitting apart. There is a legacy, given and hard-earned, because of what Prince William County has been through. And though it is troubled, it is perhaps not all bad. There might be courage there. There might be compassion there there might be the kind of sorrow that keeps us honest. This is our legacy and our story. And I bring it to you today with all of its pain, not because I want to scare you away from conversation about immigration and immigration reform, but because I want to invite you into it. The stakes are high and the work is important. No one political party will win the day nor should they. No one answer will solve it all. 
We who have witnessed the struggle of local communities facing these ideological battles have a legacy. And we share it with you today so that each new conversation you begin can be different from the last. And that honest dialogue may arise where once there was only hurt and the carefully tended seeds of long-held fears. May you begin new conversations and model them on the very highest of your ideals. And from this community, may stronger communities be born.